This episode, we see the return of Chris Corfus and Cal Dietz. The guys were previously on episode 215, along with J.L. Holsworth, to discuss RPR. On this episode, we discuss many topics. I asked the guys what has been the response that they have gotten from individuals who have taken and implemented RPR into their training systems. Where does RPR fit into the guys' program design? I asked the guys, have they got any data on the efficacy of RPR and performance measures? Why non-contact injuries are prevalent in many sports? We discuss foot training. Cal shares with us some thoughts on individualizing periodization schemes. And finally, we discuss the false assumptions and misconceptions about triphasic training. Guys, this was a great discussion with Chris and Cal, and I hope you really enjoy it. Gentlemen, it is fantastic to speak to you once again. Uh, Chris and Cal, how are you guys doing? Doing good. I'm doing good. Have a- Cal, yeah, you've, great. No, you've no whiskey this morning. What's what's going on? I know. I had a six-day trip of a lot of whiskey, so I think I better hold off till noon. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're on a bit of a fast till noon. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yep. Uh, so the last time we spoke, uh, we were on my podcast, um, JL was on with us, and it was mainly around the topic of RPR. And since then, I took the online uh, RPR, the level one. And um, as I said to you just before we hopped on, listen, you guys did a fantastic job. I, I really, And I said that to you in an email too, Chris. I really like the format of what you've done in terms of like, you know, there's good introduction to the background and sort of JL really sort of pushes the message of it. But then like what I really liked was you showed clips from a clinic at JL's facility and then you'd have these little like very short summary videos from Cal just going over what you did which which I personally liked as a, as a way to learn and um, and I suppose you kind of said to me in an email you know when you go through it, if you have any questions uh, you know we'll hop back on and as I kind of said to you before we hopped on I don't have any major major questions but I suppose some things I have is first of all because we kind of joked a little bit about this we hopped online um, with JL, like, you know, he really, really pushes this message that, like, if you really do apply RPR, it can be life-changing because it was for him in terms of some of his injuries he had. And he also tells a story about Dave Tate and, and the squat PR and whatnot and then other individuals who he's had, whether they were clients. But how have you guys now that you're, I don't know, you're, you're a few years into this, how have you found the reaction of people who've gone through the certification on the courses in terms of, I suppose buying into RPR and then the people who've had applied it, what's the feedback that you've gotten? Well, you know, depending on what level we've had a lot of people, you know, I work mostly with high school people. Um, but you know, it's a program foundation for a lot of people. We've had multiple people that have put into their programs and have had zero soft tissue injuries. Uh, I know a college down in Texas, uh, they uh they implemented it at uh, trinity and la- they did it last year um and their head strength coach is a guy that had been in the nfl for 30 years there's he does a testimonial for us and uh they had zero soft tissue injuries uh for an entire season um and i can say that going through with cross-country teams um football teams high school football teams uh, you know except for the random strange thing where you get hit in the knee or you get dinged you get ear hold or something there's nothing you can do about that but for the nitpicky like oh my hamstring's getting tighter and stuff like that you know it, it's become a thing that some people haven't had to deal with it uh but then there's going to be people who had you know we had this or that happen and again there's you can't account for all the compensations that people can create to try and find a new way to do things and 
again, if you've got a team of 70 high school kids, let's say on a football team, can you get all 70 to buy in? If you can do get all 70 to buy in on a daily basis, you know, you're doing a phenomenal job, but there's always going to be those kids that, you know, uh, maybe not so much, or, you know, you know, every, there's always going to be a kid that half asses everything that they do. Um, so for the people that, that we've had, for the most part, they've had really positive experiences. Um, I've, you know, I've even had weird things where, uh, my son who's in high school and seems to be quite the play, uh, where he knows girls from a lot of different area high schools, you know, good for him, good for him. Um, and he had a girl come up to him who runs cross country at a, a really good cross country school. And she goes, is your dad Chris Corfist? And he goes, yeah. He goes, why? He goes, he's changed my life with how I've run. I haven't been hurt. And then he said, can you get me your dad's autograph? And I want Cal Dietz's autograph too because they changed my life. And I'm like, Cole, well, Jess is brought on a date or something. You know, you should have used that. He goes, no, nah, uh, blah, 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 blah. I said, yeah, you blew that opportunity. So it's just kind of a cool story that, you know, someone that you've never met before and uh, you've changed their life. Yeah, usually when people say that, it's not really good yeah. <laughs> until our PR came along for me. <laughs> <laughs> that son of a bitch. <laughs> That's gas. That's gas. Yeah, usually if, so, if some random person's asking for your autograph, you're like, what am I signing here? Yeah. <laughs> Court order. I don't remember this. <laughs> but, I wasn't uh, even in that state at that time, I don't think. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what was her name? <laughs> uh, something that JL did touch on, though, in terms of, say, getting buy-in with a team, um, I'd be interested to get, because obviously you guys have worked with teams and do work with teams is he was saying that one of the best things you can do is to take the leader of the team and perform like an initial RPR sort of test and then a, a sort of a reset to sort of get the buy-in from the other players. Is that something that you guys do as well? Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Cal. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems to be a great selling point where if you can identify the leader, in most cases, if, even if you don't know the team, you should be able to identify that that leader that people are looking to and then, uh, it just seems to once you once you give them a little bit of shock and all, especially what we use is the anti-rotation test. Mm. Um, when you can take a big leader or even a three hundred pound man, and I can twist him, you know, and rotate him, and then the next thing you know, he's 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 fighting me. And the next thing you know, you you perform a thirty second RPR intervention, and when he does it, you know, you can do your abs and everything. But uh, when we do that. And he looks at you and he's laughing and you're, you're straining as hard as you can in front of everybody. They're going, okay, there, there's something here. And then, you know, you sell it kind of a little bit on that core stability because that's been sold to people in our profession. No, oh, we got to have a stable core. And well, I do all this core work, my core's not stable, but now we stabilize it within 20 seconds. And that, that's kind of a great selling point. Yeah, it's, uh, you always, you know, as soon as you walk in, you're looking, um, you know, you're looking for the big guy that's leaning off on one leg and you can do the shove test and see if they have a lat any lateral stability. Yeah. Then you have this 290 pound guy and you shove him across the room with a light push and then he locks in. Uh, it's a great seller. And then you also find the kid who's like the naysayer. You know, you always have the, you know, the anti guy who's, you know, the, you know, always mumbling in the background, you know, the guy that can detract from you really quick and, you bring him up and you go through, 
you know, just do some kind of reset where you can do some kind of test. And then he buys in. And when you have that naysayer going, oh, my God, I feel this, you're going to get that, remove that negative or that negative element that's usually on a team. And every mm. team has them. Everyone's not completely on. Yeah. But one time that rotation test backfired on me. I was in Kansas City teaching and uh, I found the biggest dude in the room. And remember you talked about Tom Tomlinson being a Viking. This guy dwarfed. Tom, he's, he had been six seven. Jesus. He looked two sixty, but later I found out he's three fifteen. Um, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm gonna bring this Viking of a man, a Thor-looking dude, up, and uh, I'm gonna shove him around like he's nothing. So he comes up. He's easily a head taller than me. I'm six one. He's a whole body bigger than me. And uh, I go, all right, I'm gonna throw this dude around like nothing. And uh, I went and did the rotation test on him and he locked in and I swear to God, it was the strongest person I've ever felt. I, I, it almost like my whole body gave. And then his sleeve comes down and I see he's got Olympic rings on his tattooed on his forearm. I'm thinking, Oh shit. What did I do? And he looks down at me and he smiles. He goes, I took level one with Cal back in Minneapolis. I knew you picked me. So I reset myself before I came in. I, you son of a bitch. You broke me. Sly bastard. To be fair, though, a question that I have for the both of you guys is, where does this fit up? Where does RPR fit in your entire training system? So, Chris, if I was to show up at your house, you know, in, in the famous Corfus garage, or Cal, if I was to show up in your facility, like, what would I, what would I be seeing on, on a day-to-day basis in terms of sessions with your athletes? Is it, is it like, so, and I'll, I'll let you guys hop in now. Is it a case of where, like, would I walk in and see the athletes doing their prescribed RPO wake-up drills? Or is it a case of, you know, seeing where a particular athlete is at in a particular day and they kind of go off what they need and they'll just do what they need? Or is it sort of a go by your eye and feel, like, have, look, see if they're moving and, and operating that day and say, I think we need to wake up this here, here? Or is it a combination of all those things? Um, yeah, for me, it's a combination of all they walk in, they do their own RPR and, and how we administer it might be in between a movement. Well, I, I have an arena and every pillar, it's, it's kind of pretty symmetrical. So there's 24 pillars, right? So we'll start off with a dynamic jog and there's a sign up on the pillar and every, every time they get to a pillar, they do maybe a shuffle, right? The next one shuffle left and backwards jog. And then once we start the walking, we actually then at the first pillar, they, they hit their breathing RPR and then they'll walk lunge maybe the next pillar, and then they hit their glutes. And and that's kind of how we had started off. But uh, then what transpires is during the day or during the workout, you may see something that's not working correctly, Robbie. Like, let's say you have somebody that's squatting and their hips shift to the right or the left. Well, then you know that there's two possibilities here. And it's a lateral slinging issue or it's a foot issue. So what my athlete will do is they'll come out, They'll, they'll get out of the squat. Let's say they shift it to the left. And usually it's not in warm-up. It's usually once we've gotten to maybe a heavy load, right? And then the hip shifts to the, um, to the left. So what's happening there is then the right hip is not engaging and the muscles to stabilize. And then what transpires is that we have our athlete get out. And I'll, I'll point, hey, hit your hip. So they, they, they hit in the very front of the, uh, the hip by the iliacus and they'll just pound on that and then they go back in they do the next set and then what transpires is that we uh they're now stable so that's a huge tool so because i could just point at somebody show them where i want them to hit and then and really rub on the top of the hip bone 
and then ultimately it's fixed. So you'll see things like that. Uh, you know, the other one is when they're sprinting for me, I, I usually sprint in the off season before every, uh, before every weightlifting session. It's short sprints. It could, I, when I say that, it could be a pro agility drill. It could be a, you know, acceleration. It could be a top end. But you see their arms swinging out too far and what will be or out to the side too far. And then what transpires, obviously, is, is Chris has pointed out that it's a, it can be a lap problem. Now, it can stem from other things, such as the foot or, or the opposite hip, but, you know, just hit your lat spot right on your ribs. You tell the athlete to do that, and you, they can, you know, they're running away from you. You can just yell at them from the far, hey, hit right here on the right side. And the next thing you know, the beauty of it is when they run, that, that arm's in place. So my big thing is, is, I'm telling them not to, you know, I'm trying not to coach them into the right positions. I'm trying to, they're not in the right positions because there's some compensation patterns. And that's for me, for RPR has been the, the beauty of it is that I don't coach people into the right positions. I, I'm hoping to turn the body on and get them functioning the correct way so that they just end up in the right positions. Because, you know, your arms are swinging out when you run down the track. You got to tell this athlete, hey, you got to run fast and hold your arms in. Well, that's not necessarily going to work at the highest level. So my goal is to RPR them, get them functioning correctly, and I found that people fall into place when you truly find what's wrong with that particular person. That's an interesting point because it's we don't know what's driving what. I mean, you know, nobody will. We're a long way from figuring that out, but. You know, we try and get people into exercises and things like that. And if things aren't working properly, what are we really doing? And at least we are, we can get a, we can get a start on that to get people in the right place. Um, we've got a couple more levels coming. We've got a reflex one where, where, you know, if your primitive reflexes are off, you're instantly going to a compensation pattern. And that even includes a fight or flight reflex that people will have off because they fell at one time and they've never been brought out. Um, but anyway, uh, the first thing I do with my athletes is I teach them RPR. It's that your first day here is we do a running assessment and we, I teach you RPR. Um, and the goal is for them to reset themselves. And what's great about that is once they feel what it's like to be on, we can have a decent conversation about if something doesn't feel right, like, Hey coach, my hip is off. Um, I tried resetting, I can't get it. And then maybe I can come in and do some, some deeper stuff or coach, when I do this exercise, this doesn't feel right. And it's not like, you know, this hurts or anything like that. You can have a real conversation about what would be a good exercise selection. Like, is this exercise shutting you off? And, and they know what it feels like to be shut off. And then I can make a better choice about we need to change or do something differently. Um, and it's also great because, you know, kids are going to start to take care of themselves. Um, and that's ultimately what we want is we want to have a resilient athlete that if something doesn't feel right, they can identify themselves in the middle of a game and just go ahead, hit a spot, and then get back into that one, two, three pattern that we like so much. Have, have you guys started to try and objectify the outcomes from applying RPR? So, like, I mean doing maybe a wake-up drill or a reset and then timing like a 10 or a vertical jump? Like, are you just trying, you, have you guys started to collect a little bit of data just, just to see for yourselves? And I suppose even just to 
have a little bit of proof for those people who always are a little bit more evidence-based. Now, I, I'm not one of these individuals like, well, if there's no evidence, I won't apply it because there's, there's, there's evidence-based practice, but there's also practice-based evidence too, you know? So, and usually evidence-based practice is driven by something we've been doing in the field for years and eventually evidence comes out and say oh yeah this works is like and this is why it's like well we knew it worked we didn't know why but now here's a reason but uh, have you guys started trying to collect any data on, on things like that like you know time sprints or vertical jumps or maybe we just had we just had someone do uh present a paper at the acsm conference here in oakbrook illinois on Very friday good. uh where they did uh hamstring activity and a 10 meter acceleration and I think, what was it, Cal, 13 or 14% improvement in hamstring activity after a reset? I think that was the number. Yeah, it was roughly that on the hamstring. And I think they were healthy, right? Yeah, they were healthy. They mm -hmm. ran some 10s. They, they did a reset. And again, we don't even know how well they did the reset. Um, but then they went and ran and they had the, that 13% improvement in hamstring right. function. Yeah, I think I've had on an unhealthy individual a return to play ACL, um, we had EMGs on him, Robbie, and you know we we saw. I think it's in one of my YouTube videos. I'll send you the link for a few mm. of these, but yeah. it was it was roughly a, the, the athlete was running up the steps, and actually uh, it was the athlete's shorts, right? And they identified the problem, and the kid looked fairly good, as far as I'm concerned. And but the EMG picked this up, so then the kid RPR'd him on that quad and they went down and then we were I think we we're roughly within a three percent and and when the athletes people had no idea what was going on they were like yeah. what'd you just do you know what I'm saying like that takes weeks of exercise yeah. well it was just I, I would say at that point it was probably some inhibition in his brain is is what was going on just for a safety concern maybe on that that previous injury and i, I think it, you know and actually that worked and we kept athos um do, using the emg shorts and it was crazy it just didn't change we didn't have to address it after that one incident of that one day uh, he, he he maintained it it was like it just mm. set it free you know and now he look this kid was not aware of his body and he you're going hey uh, he didn't have much he didn't even know there was something different right but uh you know, those are things, uh, heart rate variably was my first thing I did uh, about eight years ago. And, and even heart rate monitors, uh, I think the, the MegaWave uh, or the, uh, the one heart rate monitor test I had, Robbie, was one of my uh, four-time Olympians. Love the set bike workout, steady state value, you know, the, the RPMs and the, uh, you know, the resistance was always the same. And she did that bike workout after her first RPR and her normal heart rate was about 160. She, she ran at 140 for the next few months. So she dropped 20 beats per minute on her first bike workout after RPR. That was typical. Her heart rate was 160. And those are some of the things that we found. And you know that the whole research thing get, becomes interesting then because if we're starting to delve into this neural world where what's driving what, and everyone's out doing research you know we really don't know what the neural state of the athlete is and why the why they're getting the data that they are you know everyone's into the hamstring stuff and, and you know why are we having all these hamstring pulls but what's the neural state of the athlete what's the recruitment pattern of the athlete before and after and in all those situations and i think it's going to kind of throw a monkey wrench 
into all the research where we're just looking at muscles. And, and, you know, that's all we can look at right now. We don't have the technology to do more. But it questions, you know, what was the neural state of these athletes at the time? What, what, what's their driving patterns? What's, what's, what's the realm? What's their neural world and as to why they're doing what they're doing? What do you think that comes back to? Because, again, interested to get both your guys' thoughts on this. Obviously, this is why I'm asking because both of you are on here. But what do you think is that driving factor behind, I suppose, hamstrings are sort of top mind awareness right now. So they're kind of, you know, along with ACLs, they're kind of the two big injuries a lot of people are focusing on. But just in general, like, what? why do you think soft tissue injuries, non-contact injuries are so prevalent nowadays. I mean, is it, you know, and I'll let you guys hop in now, is it a fact too, you know, that one, obviously, you know, the usual sort of things people say is, you know, humans, we're just not moving as much as we used to. And also our training volumes intensity have gone up. So you're kind of burning the can at both ends. You're asking the body to do more with less in terms of less movement, variability, capability and resiliency. Um, but like just I've done a lot of reading on motor skill acquisition and you know, you talk about kids needing an environment that really, you know, helps their sensory motor cortex to grow in the brain and they need lots of variety and they just need those neural pathways to lay down as they're young and they have all that neural um that that pure that um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The the neural the synapses, the pruning to have that neural pruning that goes on you know as, as they get older but again just that education and that uh, that exposure for the sensory motor cortex to its environment and kids just aren't getting that nowadays and then obviously as they get older they have such a narrow bandwidth in terms of movement variability and then because they move so poorly and they have poor diets and they don't move their tissue resiliency is poor so it's all these factors but is there sort of a system or model in your guy's head saying that you know i think it's uh, you know it's not this one thing it's obviously a lot of these factors combined into one thing but i suppose the question i'm trying to ask is in terms of lowest hanging fruit where where does your guy where, where does both your guys mindsets go with these sort of injury um incidences well i i guess my biggest thing is that it's really it's honestly the reason they're they're there and it's it's happening i, I think you're, you're right with the, the lack of movement but we're also so stressed, right? And, and let, let's be honest, people think settings uh, not as stressful, but you get somebody, Robbie, so, you know, somebody's so asses on and then you have them sit down for three hours and you you get up and I, I find a delay in, in the ability of the psoas to, to perform hip flexion very well. And psoas is obviously one of the important muscles in RPR. Um, so, so what I'll do in a game day situation Robbie is I'll, I'll bring my athletes in and, and I could send you this video. It's a 30 second test where I, I rip through an athlete and uh, I can check all the major muscle groups. And what I found is when I'll check my athletes sometimes, um, let's say for example, cause I've experimented a lot of a, a girl, one of my female athletes broke up with her boyfriend. and She goes from a rock solid. Everything's turned on one day. She breaks up and, and her psoas, barely is barely able to support her leg when when we would do the test and, and so so when i say this it's 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 definitely a combination of all this stress and how we respond to it whether it's food allergies whether the food you're eating is poor it's just a crazy ball of stress and then if if muscles aren't on we're great compensators and that tissue starts to get used more when it shouldn't be and then when it's used more, it becomes less mobile, less pliable. And then what happens is something breaks. That's, that's, that's some gist of what I see. 
uh, would, would take an assumption on what's going on. Now, that's a very complex thing when you take a look at the whole, whatever I just said, you're going, oh, that's, there's a lot there, but I, 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 I can't find anything else through all my experiments that it's never one thing. And that's a beauty for me with RPR is why Chris and I felt we needed to get it to coaches because a kid walks in and they're, they're, they're so quad dominant. And then we start squatting them and, and they get knee pain. And I'm like, well, who's getting blamed now? I am, but, but it's not my problem. It's this, it's this kid's problem that walked in the door with the, with all the quad compensation patterns. Right. And that, that's, that's been my big thing with our PRs to make sure that we got it into the hands of coaches so they don't get blamed for things. <laughs> Nobody likes the blame. Yeah. I think I, Kids are so stressed, athletes, kids, people, all of us are so stressed today by everything. You know, some people can say it's the blue screen. Some people say when we switch to 5G, it's going to create stress. Um, I think we're just constantly driving into a fight or flight with all the stimulus that we have today. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a you know, I teach U.S. history all week. And you, it's getting more and more the case where I'll have my 28 kids come sit down and almost every guy's got that leg rocking back and forth. It, it gets so bad that it actually shakes my room and we can't look at the screen that's up because the whole screen is vibrating back and forth. I'm like, these kids are so amped up that they, mm. can't, they can't calm down. They, they haven't been given the skills to calm down. Yeah. Um, everything's about go, 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 go. And when you're trying to calm it down or land the airplane, you're on your phone staring at some screen that's amping you up you know, over stupid stuff. Um, so I just think that we're so overstimulated um, that we can't really calm down and it, it drives us into a fight or flight. Um, you know, part of it can be shoes too. I think we wear shoes for fashion statements and not for functionality. And, you know, even though we train our feet and, and you take your thousand steps in that pair of shoes when you train, you put on some shitty shoes for the rest of the day and you walk around, you know, you're constantly going back into that bad pattern, whether they're slides where you, you know, you shuffle along or uh, other shoes where the heels really high, you know, we've lost that foot function. And, you know, you look at the wear on kids' shoes, you know, you pull out the insole and they're heavy on the outside of the foot. They've never learned how to rotate through on that foot. And, you know, things get crazy and hectic because they don't have the skills and all the situations the bandwidth that's a good word the bandwidth for where mm. they move and everything shifts to the other way uh, your body's always looking for a tripod and that's why your foot is this brilliant thing because you have a tripod built into your foot but if you can never descend the ball that big toe you may think that your tripod is suddenly on the outside of your foot and that's where you're going to get your blown acl you know because we wrap our ankles the ankle can't give so what's the next thing to give it's going to be your name. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it is too, is the architecture with as much hypertrophy that people like to get into in the training world, because it, bigger is always better. Um, you change where things are supposed to be, you know, a larger muscle belly is going to push things into a wrong position. And nobody thinks about that. Um, and Cal and I have had this it's kind of like our downfall is when we start talking about training upper body and we know how to make people's bench presses bigger and all that stuff. But we've had this, we don't argue about it. We both agree. We just don't know what to do is by getting these kids to look bigger and look the part unnaturally because some people are naturally born that way. What are we doing? The architecture of the whole torso. 
by making these muscles so much bigger? How much is that stretching or pushing a tendon or a ligament or, or a muscle belly or an assertion or an origin? We really don't know. It's also changing a motor skill too, because if you learned yeah. a particular skill when your body was in a particular state and then you change something morphologically or neurologically and then you ask that person to execute the same skill again, you know, be it like a skill in American football or soccer or rugby or in the game of games here, they have to do it now with a completely new organism. And so it's completely discombobulated and uncoordinated. It's like, whoa, this is a completely new body. Uh, give, me yeah. a, give, me, give me a second here to recalibrate. And oftentimes that can lead to injury as well. And, and, you know, if you look at it from a physics standpoint, uh, you start moving weight down a limb, that weight is squared. Mm. So let's say I want to jack up my forearms and have enormous looking forearms look like Popeye because it looks cool. But now I want to go throw a ball or, or catch something. The stability that's needed to stabilize that extra weight is exponentially more than adding 10 pounds onto your lateral raise or some exercise that you want to support it mm. and then you add velocity into it and it's a it's a huge number yeah but Cal just by getting stronger by 10 pounds on this exercise is not enough yeah yeah i mean whew. it's just yeah it's a, especially in a let's say a mature athlete who's not young right you're going i'm pushing the limits and i i, I can't get them big <laughs> one of the one of the things i did uh oh, 15 years ago i had a I mean, literally, the team won a national championship, and the next the next off season, which was two weeks later, their coaches were like, "Hey, Cal, can yeah, we, we love what you did. We love we love our results. Can you make our guys a little bigger?" I'm like, "Yeah." So for, this is no kidding. For two weeks, five days a week, I did traps and neck work. <laughs> and, right? This is no kidding. And, and literally on the third week, Tuesday, the coaches come rolling in like, "Cal." Cal, don't make these guys too big this year. All right. That's what they said. But I found that if you want your guys bigger, get your trap and neck a little thicker and try to do some side delt work. And the coaches, it'll look like they're getting bigger. Like this, I said this because it's a hack for coaches who are getting pressure to make their kids look bigger. Honestly, I, I, I use that as a story. And it just it relatively tells you that sport coaches don't know a whole lot and that's what we got to deal with right yeah. they, 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 they take this stereotype of like a herschel walker type or a bo jackson and say look what they did we want all of our guys to look like that but that's how bo jackson and herschel walker were going to look regardless of what happened that is what their body was built to do and that's where their architecture was to support that kind of body um and that's a big thing in high school sports where they look at an nfl you know, roster and it says 6'3", 295. And the kid thinks, well, I need to be 6'3", 295. But you can't, you can gain all that weight, but you don't have the structure to hold that. You can add that weight, but that dude in the NFL, look at how big his cranium is. He probably wears a size eight and a half helmet. You wear seven and three fourths. He's just a larger person than you. So he yeah. can handle that. And I think that's what's deceiving when you go in an NFL camp is you look at some of these guys and you think, uh, they're about 245. No, I'm 285. But their body holds it so well that that's how they were meant to be. Yeah. So a topic I want to get into now is around the foot because I know, and Chris, you kind of just touched on it there a little bit with footwear, but I know yourself and Cal have done massive, massive work and, you know, even just thinking, you know, within your own sort of systems and training of your athletes with around the foot and the mechanics of the foot and, and just foot health and you know Cal you often made a good point that you know you could 
get the engine in the hips, you know, trained to the potential of an athlete and, you know, everything's trained up. The whole, the whole chain is strong. And then right when it comes down to that first metatarsal joint, that's where the weak link is. And it isn't transferring that force into the ground. And, you know, the person isn't, isn't transferring that force through the foot. And then really it's kind of like you've built up this like amazing machine, 99.9% above that foot it's perfect and it's just that last little chain where it hits the ground it's letting you down so I know you guys have done a lot of work with the feet I know you guys actually have even a course an online course to deal with sort of the the, the, the athlete's foot so I mean you guys would just want to take that topic and run with it for a few minutes yeah I'll default to Chris I mean he's my foot guy and we kind of work on it together and I'm I'm his experimenter too. So I think I confirm what he, he, he basically comes up with the majority of the time. So, yeah, I think my, I got into it because watching a lot of people run and watching film your athletes and trying to figure what's going on is when they go to accelerate, there was a give. And when they had that give or that lack of stability in the foot, their shin actually shot up in the air. So now all their force is going vertically rather than horizontally. So we started delving into, you know, where do we need this isometric strength? And we started looking at what little research there is out there um, and then just started playing with stuff. So that's, you know, the basis of triphasic is we're going to start with some isometric strength because if you can't hold a position isometrically, there's no way you're going to hold it when you go to move. It's just that moment. Um, and so we started doing all kinds of isometrics in different positions, different toe positions, just to get the strength to be able to hold the structure in place when you go to push. Um, and now we're starting to get into the rotation of the foot and how we're going to rotate things through and creating torque and, and different things like that. That seems to work really well. And what, what, what does that look like, Chris, from an exercise standpoint? So like, what, what are you actually doing with someone's foot there? All right. So you want to do it? Yeah, I'll do. Okay, so you got your shoes off? I have my shoes off. Okay. Um, I want you to stand up. Do I need my socks off? No, you can leave your socks on because it must be cold there. You got Chris, your hat on. Do I have do I need pants on? Always. No, for oh. you, Cal. Okay. If you have your plant that you like to hide behind Nate, all right, all right, have that all, right, all, right. all right, so Robbie, I want you to go up on to do a calf raise. Both feet. Both feet. Yeah, it's on. Did you feel like the weight was shifting over to the outside or did you feel all the weight come up over the ball of your big toe? Outside, both feet. Outside. So that means when you go to push, you're pushing off the side of your foot. Yeah. Okay. So you may need to go to your wall to do this because this is going to have a lot of layers and some of this stuff isn't in the manual. So you're the first to hear it. Cal and I have been doing this for a while now. All right. So go to a wall. Hold on now. Just let me get my microphone over. Yeah, I'm on a wall. Okay, I want you to go up and I want you to try and put the weight on the balls of your big toe. So it's going to require some, some I've, yeah. one of the nations over your big toe. Okay, your heel is high, right? Yeah, much. And I, I feel my calves kind of turned on way more as well. Oh, yeah. So the problem is if you are on two feet in a sport, you are not moving. Yeah. So I want you to pick up one leg and see if you can hold that position with that leg straight, heel high, weight on the ball of your big toe? No, not a chance. No. Okay, so you don't have the strength to get over to that spot. So now what I want you to do is go ahead, put a slight bend in your knee, and do the same thing. I can hold it now. So you see that you have one, you know, it's a, ideally there's going to be some balance between all the muscles in there, and you can see that when your leg is straight, you got nothing. 
right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, very, I'm very weak at that now. Like, I'm fatigued on that already. Yeah, so ideally, uh, this is work done by some ladies down in Australia. You should be able to hold that single leg position for 60 seconds pretty easily. Ooh. So I'm going to make it worse. So now what I want you to do is I want you to go off two feet, and I want you to go face into the wall as close as you can. Yeah. Uh, and now I want you to do a calf raise onto the balls of your big toe really close to the wall. How how close are my feet? Are they together or underneath my hips? Uh, you could go underneath your hips. Yeah. Did you have to lean into the wall to come up? Let me let me just do it again. Hold on. Your your toes should be right up against the wall. Okay. And then come up. That kind of hard. So like when I do it, I'm like, I, I, like I can't stabilize. I'm going back to the outside of my feet. Go back to the outside of your feet. So here's what's even more interesting. So this is where your vestibular system comes into play. When it knows that you do not have the strength to get to the balls of your big toe, it will add a lean, which is why you go right into the wall. Mm. So that's how fast this all works. You immediately know that you do not have the strength to go up. So it will get you to lean. And what don't we want to do? We don't want to have this excessive lean when we're trying to go, you know, trying to use our body properly. And where it's going to be a lean when you sprint, but again, to make that muscle function properly, uh, you should, that's a cheat. Where, where did you come across this initially, Chris? So how, how, like, how do you know the vestibular system is involved here? Uh, I have a friend, his name is Sean Allen. He runs the gate guys. Oh, yes. I'm aware, I'm aware of the guy guys are. So, yeah, Sean's a good friend of mine. Uh, he and I have been collaborating on stuff for since the early 2000s. Well, I, I know that my feet are fucked because, like, I have, and particularly my left is worse, more worse than my right because my right, I, I have more dexterity in my toes. My left foot is, like, cement. Like, I, can, I have no dexterity in my toes. And also, I have a big bunion on my left. And my whole so left... My whole left chain is always weaker. Like it's so can you, just sitting there, can you make a fist with both feet equally where all your toes are going to come in together? I can crunch them, but they, they, wouldn't, make a, they wouldn't make a fist. Like. Okay, so here's an easy reflex of reset. So this is RPR reflex. So go ahead and make the fist, and all you're going to do is you're going to hold it in place for about, five, for about 10 seconds. With the hands. With your hand. You're going, to, yeah. you're going to use your hand to hold it in place. Okay, so just bend my toes down and holding out my yep. hand. Yep, and make make a gentle squeeze. And am I, am I actively squeezing my toes down? Yeah. And, and is gonna, is my foot is my foot neutral plantar or dorsiflex? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because okay. we're just looking at the forefoot. All right. Let it relax. Go again. Make a fist hold. You're gonna do that three times. Real life or PR? Live. <laughs> Real time. Okay, that's three times. Okay, now can you make a better fist with your foot now? I can, but I would say my foot will cramp if I hold that for, I'd say, well, no, actually, it's, it's actually not bad now. Yeah. So that's a real simple foot reset. Because uh, in that RPR reflex stuff, we're going to have all kinds of resets for your feet. So just because your foot is mostly reflexive, right? It has to respond to whatever's going on, right? Because 
two, two times your body weight's coming down on that foot, it's got to work really quick. So if you immediately have a poor reflex pattern in your foot, you're going to compensate and not use that foot properly, which yeah. means it's going to travel up the line and all kinds of different things are going to go off. So with, with, with your athletes in terms of their footwear, like, are you getting them to train barefoot or are you just getting to do foot resets? What are you guys so doing? We that do, do you want to go first, Cal? Go ahead. Cal's stuck because he has a contract. Um, but with my kids, uh, my athletes, uh, we do all the foot reset stuff. Um, we do, and we try and train something differently. We'll have days where uh, we wear different shoes. Uh, we'll have days where you may do some stuff in your slides. Uh, when we're out on the track, we'll change. We'll have high, low, or no spike placement and move the spikes around in the shoes. So it's a completely different uh, environment that you're running in. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, cause again, you, you're kind of similar. No, I don't mean similar, but your weather, like you have a winter and a summer, like I would have over here. So it's just interesting to know what, what would you do year round kind of, cause obviously there's times where you're just like, listen, you can't go barefoot cause it's absolutely fucking freezing. Even when we're inside, like, so <laughs> we have heat here in the States, so we don't have to worry about that. I just mean uh, like in the gym floor sometimes, I suppose maybe it's, it's hygiene too. Like some, you know, you, and you get those people who are fucking freaked out by feet. I don't know whatever happened to them when they were kids. Something happened with a yeah. foot. Yeah, I, I just licked the floor they're afraid of, and then they used to go barefoot. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a commitment to coaching. Right? You know what? That 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 doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I come here. I'm also one of those guys. I, yeah. I I'm one of those people. When when food falls on the floor, it could be there for ten years. I'll I'll still eat it. I don't give a fuck. When, when people always go, I can't believe you ate this. Like that's why you got stomach acid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But uh, come here. So, something I did just want to say before we move on, just in regards to the question I asked around about the injuries, because it is an area, you know, not even with just injuries, but in terms of just like long-term health. And I know health and sports performs with two completely different objectives and goals. But you know, what comes but it to shouldn't my, be. It shouldn't be. Movement well, is movement. Well, no, no. I'm talking about like health as in like longevity, and in terms of like living as long as possible versus like being being elite at one particular sport like people confuse that like because people confuse health and, and like sport performance is what i'm trying to say like so so what's the first thing that goes when you get older besides your hearing your vision your feet and that's uh -oh. why people shuffle oh yeah yeah i know yeah it's funny you say that because uh the guy who wrote that book um human locomotion um tom i can't say second i pronounce it like um is like Mitch Mitchard or something like that. But Tom, Tom's his first time. He wrote that book, Human Locomotion. But he recently gave a talk at Mike Boyle's Strength and Conditioning and it's, it's up on Body by Boyle. And his whole thing is feet. And he actually, he was getting the guys to test their foot strength. He had this like little uh, device and they'd squeeze down on it, see how much force they can do. And he, he was saying that, you know, that early signs of the generation of people is, you know, when, when this foot strength goes and obviously when their foots get weak, they become more imbalanced and we know that it falls when people start to fall over and stuff like that. But yeah, sorry, go old, ahead, Chris. And what do old people do? They go to Best Buy, not Best Buy, but whatever shoe and they buy those rock hard, stiff, New Balance yeah. white shoes, the grandpa shoes. And they, that's all, oh, they're really comfortable or Skechers or whatever. And it's like, you're walking on a plank, your foot doesn't do any work all day. Yeah. Well, I can't go barefoot. Why not? You should be barefoot all the time. If you're, if you, if you're an old person living in Florida, like my dad, so dad, you should be bare. Let's go get you a real pair of shoes and then get your feet to work 
and your life will get considerably better. There was that work too by Philip Beach. Um, and there's a, a, a woman, she, she's down in Arizona. Her name's Anna Hartman. She used to work with uh, Exos when they used to be at least performance. But she also gave a presentation at Boyles. And she was talking about the benefits of the rock mats. So as in like have rock mats in your house, like, you know, walk around your, your, your house barefoot and walk on these rock mats. And she'd, she'd even like set up like beams of poles to walk on so that she was like, your foot was getting exposed to different uh, surfaces for proprioceptive input and just basic foot health. Cal, go ahead with your rock mats. Yeah, yeah, I have them. And <laughs> They're like all I, over the place. Yeah, when I, Robbie, like when I'll, I, I'll just add this to my training. I have a 77 station circuit we do for general preparatory phase, right? Where we, I mean, it's, it's pretty there's a lot going on. Your mouth's taped shut. You're holding your breath when the alarm goes off with the exhale, not with an inhale. And then on every station that's possible, I just cut up gym flooring, right? And then I glued uh, fish pebble rocks to that. And when my athletes are standing there, they do that, you know, and it was really cheap. And, and then I realized I just used various types of super glue and I just made the, the, the little mounds so that their feet were, you know, the, the fish pebble rock. I mean, you walk in my weight room, it was falling off even when I super glued it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I just used the, the little mat, you know, and it's about the size of a size 14 foot. And boom, we put that on there. And then I actually, I did also for that toe curl part of it for the big toe, I, I would even put a, uh, a dowel on there. I cut the dowel in half. It's, a you know, a little half inch diameter wood or three quarter inch uh, wood rod. And then I cut it in half and I, I just cut a one inch part and the athletes would set their toe on that. So it could teach their toe to curl, the big toe to curl. And then they're standing on rocks doing the exercise. And we have like 100, 150 of those all over the place when they're doing their exercises, just on my circuit days. You know what I mean? When we're doing yeah. the uh, fitness circuits. And so, I mean, I got like 10 things going on in those circuits and but that's one of them and i just feel hey we're getting as much stimulation as we can in so it's gas like i i'd say when people like when you're athletes or if if some you know probably sports coaches like can just imagine when they walk into your facility or weight room can just go what the fuck is this yep <laughs> yeah no they do say itself but like if me and chris walked in be like oh this is completely normal this, like, of course this of course this makes sense nasal breathing training the feet why don't you people understand this you know that's why uh, Oh, we're, we're three of us are like we, we we're the guys that look around that we're the minority that looks around the majority and think we're surrounded by monkeys throwing shit at walls going just <laughs> right these people just don't get it they just don't get it you know what i mean <laughs> well and then you know I, I mean not only is it the coaches it's the administrative part of it right and and it's just crazy they think oh you're simulating the mask so they were thinking, oh, yeah, you're simulating, you know, the oxygen deprivation masks really don't work. And I was like, well, no, I just went with it because that's what they thought. They thought they were smart. And I mean, no, was, no I'm training to nasal breathe. It's a much healthier thing, right? But they thought I was, I'm like, yeah, that's that's fine. I, you don't even want to explain to, to them anymore. I know, it's gas. It's like, it's like here, uh, like I've got a vegetable garden at the back. So like when anyone's here, I'm like going to the toilet. And then I go outside to the garden and they're like, where, where are you going? I'm like, going to the toilet. And they're like... I'm like compost for the garden, idiot. Like I, I, I always say to people, why, why have you got a toilet? It's ridiculous. You, you get your shit, you get your piss, you put in a compost pile, you feed that back to the microbes, and you grow food. That's the way it should be done, people. Not down a toilet where it goes into a sewage system. You're idiots, right? Gold. Yeah, but, I just don't. Here, uh, <laughs> yeah, something, something. I no, sorry, something I was gonna say to you, just when I asked that question about the injuries, just in terms of like where my mind goes. I, I know, Cal, you kind of it's just what your answer stimulate what comes to my mind too. 
in terms of like, you know, there's just so many factors, but I suppose like whenever I'm looking at either maximizing performance or trying to understand just human behavior in terms of actual psychological behavior or like mechanical behavior, like what always comes to my mind is epigenetics and the environment and its interaction with, you know, the organism and its interaction with the environment. And like, you know, so many factors then when we think about like, if we're just thinking about like even from a disease or health standpoint, what always comes to my mind as well, what are the biggest environmental factors that will influence an organism? And for us as humans, it's like, it's our circadian rhythms, it's our sleep, it's our nutrition, it's our exercise, it's our movement. And then Chris kind of getting into something that you may just stimulate my mind was you, you were talking about us being wired all the time. And then you got to get into like that human psychological behavioral development from like when you were a fetus in your mother that environment how did that wire the brain were you a fight flight so you know were you wired to be fight or flight or were you wired in the mother's womb to be like oh the world is a safe place i can't wait to get out there and contribute because you know there's studies on that where like the rat they didn't rodents where like the baby and the rat if the rat was really stressed more nutrition and blood flow went to that hind brain and the, the actual limbs of the rat were bigger, so it's getting ready to be a warrior. Whereas if they put the, 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 the rat who was pregnant with a pup in a real caring, secure environment, more the blood flow went to its neocortex and it's more higher thinking processes. So this pup was being told, oh, the world is safe. You can contribute. You'll have plenty. There'll be no scarcity. It's, it's abundant. So like then the other factor then is that whole psychological development and how people, you know, develop in terms of their family and their school and their society and the cultural beliefs they're indoctrinated with. So again, you have like, so the factors to me are like, you know, circadian biology, uh, sleep, hydration, nutrition, exercise, your psychological development, which is influenced again from the time you're an embryo in your mother to when you're being raised by your family. And then like, it's funny, we can take all of these factors that could lead to inflammation and inflammatory processes and these chronic injuries we're seeing with an athlete and then disease issues we're seeing with the public at large. But then you meet those people who nail stress management. Like they just, they're so good at responding in an appropriate manner to everything in their life. And it seems to be able to override a lot of things that should negatively impact their health. So it's just like, it's like that they are just, they're, they're those people in me who they're ignorant to like exercise. They're ignorant to, and I mean ignorant to like, they're, ex, they're ignorant to exercise prescription. They're kind of ignorant to nutrition. They're, they're ignorant to like, you know, if you talk to them about like EMF fields or anything like that, but you meet them and they're just like vibrant and full of life. And it's just because like, they're these people who've learned to be present and they've got great stress management skills. And so it seems to me like the mind piece is also a massive piece of this whole thing. But just in terms of me, when I'm thinking about like injury reduction and optimizing human experience and performance, they're sort of where, that's where my mind goes is epigenetics and sort of how can we optimize these environmental inputs to the organism. So that was just something I want to say. I don't know if any of you guys have ever went down that sort of mindset when it comes to your athletes or even just you being a human. Well, I think watching football uh, which team you can always team tell which team is losing by how many injuries there are out on the field you know mm. they've they've shifted that mindset to fight or flight for whatever reason like yesterday watching the Alabama LSU game Alabama's got guys down on, they start getting beat they got guys down on the field left and right they, they have shifted that mindset and that has overrode any great movement pattern that they've had yeah yeah uh, you go to fight or flight and you get rid of compensation pad. You, you, you amp up your compensation patterns to try and, you know, do, to do whatever you're doing because you're getting your ass kicked. Um, I wrote an article kind of about that uh, this summer about training big men. Um, and that's one thing that I think happens 
where the gap is in conditioning for sport is we always get rid of that fight or flight aspect. At practice, at the end of practice, the coach has you line up and you're going to run until your dick falls off or anything like that. There's no fight or flight. There's no mental state that amps up all of your hormones and chemicals that get you ready for that, which is mm -hmm. why I think in a game you fatigue out because you are so amped, whether you're getting your ass kicked or kicking someone's ass, you know, it's usually when you're getting your ass kicked. How many times have you seen a winning team, the coach go, we're just out of shape. We won 52 to nothing, but we're just out of shape. You don't deal with that fight or flight when you're dealing with conditioning. And that's why I think, you know, we get where we're at. And then you start looking at what happens during the week. Like, how, okay, now the coach is going to run us into the ground because we're not in shape because we got our ass kicked. And he said, the reason we got our ass kicked isn't because we have no fundamentals and the coaching sucks. It's because we're out of shape. And now you're just driving that into the ground. You know, we're going to do 10 for the 20. Here's add 15 yards for slap dig Jim for uh, the holding panel that he got on third down. You know, it's this constant drive. And then it just kind of amps up the injuries. Well, that, that's for, like, I think the reason why that's been the default mode for so many years, particularly with sports coaches, like to blame a fitness quality as a reason why a team is underperforming is because it's, it's just an easy thing to, to default back to, you know, cause, it, cause when like, it's like, fit there's no blame. Exactly. And, but the thing is, too, is that physical capacities are easy to measure and quantify, whereas like it's hard to quantify a technical, technical issue, you know, say, oh, well, you know, like and also too, the more to blame to is then on the sports coach. You're like, listen, it's not a physical capacity issue. It's that the tech, the, the, the technical skills of the athletes aren't there. And then the tactical awareness isn't there either. You know, it's, it's harder to it's also harder to measure, you know, the tactical quality of a team and then also the perception and the action, the coupling responses of an athlete when they're executing their, their skills out, out in the middle of action where it's easy to like, just like run, you know, one fifties and like see lads, you know, cause it's tangible. You can feel that and like they're fatigued and, and whatnot. And that's kind of why I like what Cal does is because, all right, my mouth is taped shut. I'm having a hard time breathing and I'm putting this weight on my back and there's rubber bands on here and I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, you put someone into a state where they have to perform. It, it's not simple, but what do we do? Same workout every day. You go into yeah. a weight room, no matter, there's no, there's no reason for your body to care what's going on. Chris, I know we spoke about this before we went on, uh, before we went on the call here. So there's, there's two more things I just want to make sure you guys talk about, cause I noticed it was, um, a reason why you guys want to come on. Uh, Cal, I know you want to mention something to do with periodization. So whatever you want to touch on there, I want to hear your thoughts. But Chris, I want to get your thoughts too on uh, just some people have been talking about the, the work of Franz Bosch lately, obviously with the with the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup just finishing up there. I know that Franz had a big influence on some of the, 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 the World Cup teams that competed at the World Cup. He did some work with Japan four years ago in the 2015 World Cup with John Pryor, two John Pryor. And then obviously uh, the English uh, World Cup team, I know that uh, they utilize some of Franz's concepts and principles. So I know you uh, hung out with some of the crew from the English rugby team. But um, I just want to share any thoughts with, you know, Franz's work, how, to, how you incorporate and, and any other thoughts on it? I, I, I still, I like Franz's work. Um, I use a lot of it. Um, some of the stuff I've modified, um, but I, you know, I stole that quote, you got to make the body care. I mean, that's, that's his quote. And I think that's true, that we get ourselves into a situation in training that we do the same thing over and over again. You know, I like going to see people do their running drills or it's the same every time. So 
if the drill, if the purpose of the drill is to make you better, shouldn't you make a change if you're already better? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing the drill carry over on the field? Well, if not, then you need to change the drill. Mm -hmm. Or if they've mastered the drill, you need to make it more difficult. Um, and but we never have a progression for our drills when we're looking at movement. Um, which is why I like water bags because it's a different time every it's different every time you take a step. You can hold it differently. You can put different amount of water in it. You can put a little mat down, and all of a sudden the body has to care how to move. Uh, and that's what I really like about Franz's stuff. And John is John is planning a trip to come out this winter uh, and spend some time with us and share ideas. So, so that'll be fun. John Pryor. You have to get a. You have to get a, a care. I take a care. will be coming along, will he? <laughs> he might. I don't know. Himself and John. I think I'm, I'm himself and John used to meet up. I think when Kira was in Japan, they met yeah. a few times. Yeah. Well, Kira is actually speaking at TFC in Dallas uh, in January, so it'll be good to see Kira. He's always fun. Ah, uh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Hey, Cal, have you utilized any France stuff? Yeah. Um, what basically pretty much what Chris tells me to. You know, he's very things. <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah. I just as many drills as he has, I'm going, well, I can't do the 77 that I've seen. So you know what I mean? Uh, I just do the key ones, but I, I didn't see too many of the problems. I mean, I, I think I address a lot of things in the weight room. Um, I add some, the coaching points of the hip hike and, you know, the hip lift and, uh, but, but a, a majority of all these problems, I mean, I, I think I, I did a pretty good job before I actually was introduced to him mm. um, with the strength stuff and, and various you know, doing just, let's say a step up where I'll do one of some of my step up where my kids are actually holding on to the platform with, uh, uh, let's say a pit shark or a belt squat and they're holding on and they'll do a single leg, uh, belt squat. And when they come up, I mean, I have probably two to 300 pounds of tension on trying to pull them, uh, to the lateral side there, uh, so that it pulls them into, um, where their foot comes underneath them midline and they're actually activating the glute med. And then, you know, they, they, you know, lift their hip on the opposite side when they come up and, and various things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I try to do the best ones I can. I can't do them all and I won't do them all because it, it just seems like a little bit of overkill in some instances. Hmm. I just think it's interesting how Franz looks at things where, you know, he was uh, anatomy artist. That was his first job. And he sees the body differently than a normal coach would because he's, you know, he almost sees it from you know, well, an artist standpoint, of course, but you know, it's just a different way of looking at things. And a lot of coaches hadn't looked at the thing, looked at things like he has looked at them like motor learning skills and things like that. And it's just refreshing to see a different look at things. Yeah. Uh, so well thought out. And again, you know, some of the higher class people, uh, you know, people who have a lot of elite athletes and they'll say, ah, oh, it's crap. And I said, but most of us don't have those, that elite 1%. Um, and so with Franz's drills, where most of my athletes are high school kids, or even I've had some higher level kids that really benefited from his drills. They don't have those elite motor skills to do really well and this is a good way to help control things um for example i have a kid that plays for the bears and he's a wide receiver and he's a rookie and you know we got a great 40 yard dash and a vertical jump and he's a big body and all that and i said all right so you're there with the bears who used to have a really good receiving core 
at least preseason, we were supposed to have a great receiving core. I said, what's the difference between you and Allen Robinson? Because I know I know how Allen Robinson runs. I've got, you know, I was with him, went down with the Jaguars. You know, how does he do it? And he goes, he just has phenomenal body control. Mm. You know, I don't know if he's running as fast as he can or if he's running at 85%. You can't tell the difference. And, and to me, that's a mark of an elite athlete is the incredible body control that you really don't know what's going on. But who's the only coach that's, you know, deals with that kind of stuff where, you know, you're going to change your gait, but you've got to look the same on top. It's Franz Bosch. I mean, he gets concepts like that. And he's clever in his application of drills. I think my women struggle more with it for sure than men. Have you noticed it too? Yeah. They, uh, girls are, sound weird, but they don't have some of the finesse that men have is the ability to throttle it back and still look good. Girls can either hammer it down or they're stuck kind of at 60%. In my opinion. Cal? Yeah, I, I would, I would say that, but, but just out of the shoot, I think women can struggle with more of, of those qualities than the men. And, and, and part of it too is the women's architecture is different. Their center mass is over their hips, and that's a different way to have to find things. You know, find where you're at when your weight is there. Yeah, I silenced I everyone with that one, didn't I? No, no. Just thinking. Just again, I'm. I'm kind of just thinking back to my first exposures of, of France. I can actually remember I, I was doing. Uh, at least performance phase one when they came over here to Ireland and it was with Nick Winkleman. He literally just spent like a, a couple of days or a few days with Franz. And I can remember it was just doing all the, you know, the, the single leg power clean, stepping up to a box and all that. And I was just, it, it was just from, you were just, when you were just talking about Franz, it was just reminding me about that. But it's funny too. Like, I think again, we spoke with this offline. I think a lot of coaches are kind of a bit resilient to Franz's message just because about the way he goes about putting it out there. But like, yes. it's funny when, even when Chris, you just said there, like some of the motor control concepts he puts out, like when you read his material, a lot of the motor control concepts he, he's putting out aren't his, like they're referenced. They're like, they're from Schmidt and they're from all these other great people who, who, uh, who are accepted people in the, in the world of motor control and motor learning and performance. Like they're not even, they're not even originally friends. It's like people talk about like, Oh, he talks about knowledge of results and knowledge of performance. Like that's not friends. That's, that's from other motor control experts in the field that he's he's borrowing not even borrowing he's citing their literature and he's going to put some of his yeah. own thought, thought processes so i'm just like if any other scientist did that in another field we wouldn't say anything about it we, we'd actually applaud them for trying to be innovative taking someone else's work and trying to put a different spin on it but then it's just like it's like when Franz did it, people were kind of like oh he's making it too complicated and again i think i think this but, goes but it by, should be it's an incredibly complicated system how can you apply simplicity to i know listen what what, what it is is it's a human it's a human fault we have it, it goes back to like daniel kahneman's uh, system one and two we have our feeling brain and our rational brain and fast, thinking fast thinking slow yeah and no, and no matter what right your your reptilian fight flight sensory motor that part of your brain that ha that has that you know that implicit awareness that that unconscious awareness or makes an unconscious decision for you you even realize that whether is something safe or not safe or whether do I like this person or not that's going on before and the, the simple fact of the matter is when we go to a seminar or a talk and we see someone presenting the first thing that we're interested on at a subconscious level is do I like this person and like that drives so much of what we believe then about their information which is to our detriment at times you know what I mean if if we're not actually able to step back and say right, listen, I don't like this person, but yet their information's incredible. 
So I still should listen to it. A lot of people are just like, oh, he's full of shit. And really, he's not full of shit. It's just I just don't like the person. That's the reason why. Like, and that happens so much. It's like with Dr. Jack Cruz, so many people are like, oh, Cruz is a quack and he's full of shit. And it's just like, he's actually not. He's very intelligent and has a lot of great information. It's just that how he puts his message out there is, bad, is, is poorly done to a lot of people and it's the same with france who's like it's just france's demeanor people are just like oh he's too complicated and then it's just like really what you're trying to tell me is you don't like me you don't think he's a nice person and you just don't want to take his information because at a subconscious level you've made the decision that you just don't like him i can't have a beer with him he's not one of those guys it's like but yeah his information is still great so it's yeah like, it's, it's all about marketing the way we accept it yeah i mean the way people accept this the information you're, you're dead right that that's initial yeah, but you, I mean, if you talk to anyone who's a marketer in the world it's all like do 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 you do you uh do you try and uh market to people's rational brains or their feelings and it's like every marketer is like uh ever since edward bernays we know that you always market to people's emotions that's right we are a country run on emotion that's exactly what it is. it's it's people's emotions we don't make our decisions we think we make our decisions rationally but most of us don't what we do is we make it we make a decision based on our emotions and then later on we use our higher brain to rationalize it rationalize oh, I, I did that because of this you know what i mean oh i bombed that country because they threatened us first like you're an idiot no that's exactly it but anyway, oh. Claire, I'll get a little bit off track here. So, Cal, uh, Chris told me through an email that you had some concepts or thoughts about periodization that you would, you were well, discussing or would like to discuss about. So, I, I don't well, know if that is something you want to get into. I mean, you're more than sure. welcome to take the floor. It doesn't take too long, Robbie. What you know, what what I did was over the years, I've realized that periodization was wrong. Even even my model is not too far different from other people, but it it was just frustrating me because the only way to do it then is to, to run a number of tests and find out what uh, what the weak link is and then train that, mm. in my opinion, right? So, but what I did was uh, I, I reviewed about 20 years of 10s and 20s. You know, my, my, my assistants over the years would confirm this, that they, they, they we ran so many 10s and 20s and I had all these numbers. And then we'd do back squat and vertical jump and, and even throw, you know, flying 10 times in there. And, and you can go, okay, uh, when... I could put all this together and I started looking at numbers and basically I took a 10 and 20 yard split and I created a tool that's free. I mean, it's out there for people to use. I have a lot of people using it, but so you run a 20 yard dash and then you can have two athletes at the same time of the 20, let's say around a two seven or, you know, a eight, let's say 18 meters or it'll work with 20 meters too. Um, but um, you're sitting there, Robbie, and you're going, okay, but their 10 split times are different. Okay, so the halfway point, their time is different. Each of these two athletes that ran the same 20-yard dash, it's an indicator of what your weakest link is. Mm. And when you plug the formula in, it'll tell you it really comes down to three qualities. Now, I created 13 zones that, that you get the output from, but, but let's say you need a strength quality. That's zones 10 through 13. Now, there's combination of strength, like – 13 is super maximal loading. 10, zone 10 is strength loading between 80 and 92%. Okay. So when you run this 20, it will tell you if you need strength right now. And then it may tell you if you need power is the other quality. And it may tell you if you need speed work. And speed work would be loading between 25 and 50%. So when I started implementing this, Robbie, so we, we literally walk in on Monday. I have... And I have all these zones printed off, really seven different leg sheets. 
and, and the, the gap in between, let's say, power and speed, there's a gap where, let's say, you need a little bit more power than speed. You actually train power at the beginning of the week, and or I'm sorry, power and strength. You, you train power at the beginning of the week, let's say on Monday and Wednesday, and then Friday you address strength because if you're in that in-between phase of power and strength, and then it can go vice versa where you do power at the beginning or uh, strength at the beginning and then power at the end. But long story short, what you have is on Monday, my athletes walk in, they run their 20s. They would give me two good quality ones. If, it, if we like the two, boom, we look at the, the fastest time. We look at the formula and it tells us, hey, you need strength. And then the next kid ran the same time and he needs speed. And then they go for two weeks. They, they train in their zones, the speed zone, in the weight room, plyos, different variations, uh, strength work you're done. And then the next week, they, they're both faster. And then they've switched because one works strength. Now he has to go to speed. The other works speed. Now he's going to power. And, Rob, when, when you look at all this, this is, this is the scary part. When the athletes perform this and, and you go through the whole summer, guess how many of them? So this is a predictor of what you need now. And then you lay out the whole summer. Do you know how many fell? How many, what percent of athletes fell in the traditional periodization model? Only what you, 20. What do you mean by fell? So they, they basically followed the traditional periodization model. As the summer progressed. How many people improved from using the traditional? Well, they all improved. So so what I'm saying, it's not bad, the traditional periodization model. Everybody improved. So if you were going to say. Oh, you're gone. Your your volume's gone there, Cal. No. He hit something there. He moved. He hit something. He anchored into the chair. (laughs) <laughs> and he shifted his weight. He put his pants back on. <laughs> now, now you're back. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, yeah. I put, I did put my pants on. Sorry, guys. I was, I was getting excited talking about this. So when I say that, <laughs> if I graph the whole summer of how they're, how that I went through this twenty yard dash, and you, you say, okay, did anybody follow the traditional periodization model mm. off this predictive training tool? And Rob, here's the thing. 20% of my athletes followed the model. So what I'm saying, the typical periodization model from 1960 on, whenever it was implemented, was only optimal for, for 20% of the athletes. Now, here's the beauty. When I looked at the rest of the athletes, if you flip that model, it worked for 30% of those. That's what they followed. And then the middle 50 formed some patterns but then would switch in and out and somewhere all over the place yeah so, so i'm not saying yeah i'm not saying it doesn't work uh the traditional it's been less than optimal in my opinion because then i saw the greatest change in our acceleration numbers that we've ever seen in the 20 yard dash hmm. it's funny you mention this because in maladin janovich's uh book he brought out there earlier on this year um his hit manual he talked about that concept in his book about how, as humans, we like to compartmentalize things. And he's like, but nothing in reality is compartmentalized. And so what, what he was trying to, the point he was trying to get across in his book was that he was saying, like, we like to think of strength, power, and speed as these completely separate biomoral qualities that don't overlap. But he's like, they always overlap and they're always intermingled and merging. And he's like, they're just on a spectrum rather than like, 
like like we talk about energy systems like all energy systems are working all the time it's just which one's most predominant it's not like a switch where one turns on and one turns off but uh he he was talking about and it's funny because my biggest influence when it comes to um when it, when it came to program design and periodization if you want to just use those terms was al vermeil and Vermeil's model is similar is that Vermeil's thing was like he would diagnose in terms of like, all right, what quality does this athlete need to focus on rather than like, because his whole thing was like old, old school periodization makes no sense. You're just going through the same cycle over and over, you know, a hypertrophy and a strength and a power. And he's like, well, what if someone has enough hypertrophy and strength and what they need to work on is power. And then within power, we have, well, is it rate of force of elements you're talking about? Or is it, is it, is it slow stress shortening cycle? Is it fast stress shortening cycle? I mean, there's, there's even like within power itself, then we got to get into some of the subcategories. And then with speed, is it acceleration? Is it top end? Where is this person weak? So Al's sort of thing was that like he would diagnose and then train the quality where somebody was most efficient in rather than waste some time on a quality that they already had well developed. And so Maladin was trying to make the same point in his book saying that like, because we like to categorize things at all, like here's strength and here's power and here's speed. They're in these lovely categories that make sense in that left hemisphere of our brain, that real analytical part. You know, we have this, because again, what as humans, what we hate is uncertainty. So if we have these categories that make things certain, we're like, yeah, that makes sense now. I don't have to think about that anymore. It's nice and safe. No, no, leave it alone. Don't, don't fuck around with my program design. Whereas like, this is what I like about you, Kyle. You're like, you know what? I'm going to just do an experiment here and see what, what washes out after this summer program. And what, <laughs> and, and what you saw was that you just basically saw the quantum world that is that of uncertainty. I mean, again, it's like when Newton came along and it was like, Oh, figured it all out. People, it's just a machine. Newtonian physics and then like uh, the quantum world came along and shit all over that I was like actually if you keep breaking down that atom it goes into subatomical parses held together by electrons and protons and neutrons and those electrons see when they go around that's not an, that they, they don't orbit around that shit it's a probability cloud we don't know where it is at any one time it's all probability so it's so funny you mention that because that's what I've noticed too with program for my athletes was that like if you looked at the old model you know, it was like, oh, no, no, you have to do hypertrophy first because you've got to build up those tissues for strength loading. And then if you're going to do power, you have to have strength before. It's like, yeah, but this guy doesn't need hypertrophy and he's strong as hell, but he's slow. So I'm like, and I've only got like six weeks with this guy. It's like, I need to work on what his most weakest efficiency is. So it's just refreshing here that you said that. And even with that, even with that 50% who were like, that's even more of a mind fuck. You're like, for a little while, they needed this, they needed this, uh, this, this, this. Uh, periodization then they needed this one you know so like or they needed like the blocks to be in this order then this order or they need to focus on this quality and this quality so it's refreshing well i mean like dan victor told me he, he's like the reason dan likes you he says you're willing to throw anything out and give it a shot you know give if, if it doesn't work and uh and i'm just like well i just need to get results right like what two summers ago i bought a hundred thousand dollars worth of 1080 sprints and i didn't use them this year because I didn't want them to influence the outcome of these 10s and 20 tools. So this next summer, I'm going to put all those back in so that I can get these 10 and 20 tools. I mean, I can get kids progressed even faster. So maybe instead of doing the 10, 20 test every two weeks, I might be able to get every week to analyze them, have the 1080s progress me through the week at a faster rate, develop a faster quality, and then turn around and see if I can get a change. That's a really, uh, I just want to say, it's very interesting what I don't know that, that what you want that group of athletes. Guys, the, did the athletes even know that they're, they're your experiments? No, well, they do. Yeah, they, it's, it's kind of a running joke now. So, 
Um, but yeah, there it's, I mean, and the crazy thing is, is that really this thing is just your weakest link. That's all it identifies. Yeah. And then we just change the, we just address the quality. And somebody said, well, this is like cheating. You know, well, you get a speed reading and Cal, all you do is work speed for two weeks and then they're better. Like, that's kind of cheating. I'm like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm cheating to win then. I don't care. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> um, you know, and I've had uh, tactical people use it and they're like, well, I ran it with, with, right. I ran it without my gear and then I ran it with my gear. So what do I do? I'm like, train with what it gave you for your gear on because that's how you perform exactly, right exactly. in the military yeah and, and and they're like well it's different i'm like yeah that's actually probably tells me the tool's really correct got it, you got to get ready for the environment you're going to perform in right and and, you know, maybe. and like pts were like uh, i went i lectured yesterday at the mayo clinic with, with a bunch of pts and i was talking to them i'm like if you have a rehab an athlete coming back from rehab in my opinion, to get them ready, you have to get them out of, use this tool, you have to get them out of a strength reading. Mm. And once they get into a power and speed, then I feel they're ready to go. But you've got to get a reading other than strength. I can't believe someone said to you, it's cheating. I'd be like, we, we, you should just turn around and say, no, this is my job. Yeah, right. No, seriously. Doing, well, that's what usually happens when you're doing your job well. You're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, Chris. Oh, Man, I'm a, Cal, something, sorry, Chris, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like leaving you aside here for a minute, but there's just something, Cal, I've always wanted to ask you now that I have you online, because I'm one of these guys, I, I'm one of these guys, right, where I would like to think that I'm someone that always makes his own mind up on things no matter what. So you never know, you're sitting down with someone and they're bitching and moan about someone else and they're like, this guy, that guy, or this girl, that girl. And like, in my mind, I'm like, I'll make my own mind up about this person. Like okay, that's your that's, if if that's your thoughts on that individual, that's fair enough. But I make like I won't. I'll try to my best of my ability. Because there's probably someone out there who's a neuroscientist saying that what they're saying is influenced what I think about this person that I haven't met yet already. But anyway, what I'm trying to get to here is like I'm one of these these guys, or I'd like to think I'm one of these guys anyway, that likes to again come to his own conclusions on things and things for himself. So when I often hear other coaches say, oh, like this coach is full of shit. And if you actually went there and saw what actually goes on, that's not what happened. Like, you know, Westside, there's a good one, you know, Westside, blah, blah, blah. It's like, have you ever been to Westside? They're like, no, but you know, blah, blah. Like, well then, well then like stop already, please. Or, you know, or like, you know, just, just, you, you can talk about loads of people like Charlie France is like, did you ever meet Charlie? No, did you ever speak to Charlie? No. Well then let's stop already. You know what I mean? Or like Franz Bosch, you ever, have you actually ever sat down, rang, emailed, asked him to like back in the day. Dialogue. With, dialogue back in the day with fms i'm just like people used to go on i'm like have you ever like contacted gray cook the guy who, who found it and asked him directly to his face these questions and they're like no i'm like well then shut the fuck up so <laughs> a question i actually want to ask you because i've heard so many people about this carl deets and triphase you go blah 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 it's like oh like if you actually see how it's done and blah 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 blah, blah and it's like it's like so the question I want to ask is, what are the biggest misconceptions and just like bullshit that you're getting back from certain people that you hear about triphasic or just like you as a strength coach in general? I know that's a big question because I've heard just so many people say, oh, triphasic, you know, it, it's no way is that, is that what's being done and two weeks of eccentric and two weeks of blah, blah, blah. There's no way you're getting these adaptations and he says this and then he goes on about diaphragm and big toe and He's full of shit. And again, it's just these people who are projecting insecurities out into the world in this medium, you know, where 
they they're wrestling with their own shit in their head so they just want to feel like they have a place in the universe so they just complain about something yeah and i'm just like hold on have you ever went to minnesota have you ever been in minnesota and they're like no yeah. like so you've never actually met cal spoke to cal face to face spent time in the facility so i'm like one of these people if you haven't got it from directly from the horse's mouth yeah. spend time around it you really do not have the right to an opinion it's like me saying this to you, you chris and cal here hey lads you know what we're never going to mars why because i just said so <laughs> have you spoken to anyone in nasa to do with the mars program no <laughs> i just said it because i felt like saying it to make it feel like i've got some self-worth in the world anyway but cal so just like what are some of like the misconceptions or that you've heard over the years or is there anything like what i've just said that, that you'd like to address because it, it just it it grinds my gears as we like to say All right yeah i mean there's just things i i, I guess uh, nothing well I just don't care what they say, right? It just doesn't – I don't care. Because, you know what, I literally have had coaches fly from other countries to say, there's no way I believed you did 120% on your safety bar squat eccentric loading. Like, if they don't think we do eccentrics for two weeks at 85%, I do 120% for two weeks now. And coaches fly in from other countries. I think this summer we had three different coaches – and to watch me do 120% single leg safety bar squat with my heel off the ground in 50 athletes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was just about to say, do you mean you done this? <laughs> no, this is my 50 athletes, right? And, and once they see it, they're like, I'm like, so, so you understood everything that I was talking about, but you just didn't do it. And they're like, well, I, I just didn't think it, it would blow them up. And I'm like, I've been doing uh, eccentric loading, heavy eccentric loading for 20 years. I've been doing super maximal loading for seven. Like I was doing it before the triphasic book come out, but I was like, I can't put that in there. People will, 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 will lose their mind and think I, you think I'm crazy. Right. They'll, they'll, they'll nickname me the butcher, but uh, just like uh, the, the old Russian Bulgarian strength coach, but it's, I, yeah, I, it's, I, I, I'm a JF. Yeah, but yeah, they say, yeah, that guy's crazy like him. But but you know, Robbie, I, I just sit here and I do 120% load on safety bar squat. Why? The, I mean, I have girls that don't don't want to back squat more than 180, but have 360 single leg safety bar back squat on one leg. And does it look good? Does it look good now, Kyle? Or if I walked in and be like, yeah, it's a bit dodgy. What do you mean dodgy? Does it look good? Like if I walked in and saw it now, is it executed well? Cause oh, another thing, it's another really thing I, simple. Yeah, like I, I, I have gone to other places too before and people are saying they're doing stuff and then I see it and like, oh, you're doing it, but it's terrible. Yeah, well, my movement's pretty simple. I mean, they hold on and Robbie, they, they go on their toes. Their heels are just off the ground, maybe, you know, quarter inch, not much. And even if their heel touches during the lift, as long as there's tension in the toes, right? Mm -hmm. And then, the forefoot. yeah, in the forefoot, I'm sorry, in the forefoot. And then as they come down, it's a straight down movement. Cause again, I don't squat my hips back. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a straight up and down. The knee goes in front of the toe, their heels are loaded, but they come back up and it's to me, it's, you can't even mess that movement up. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. It's so hard. That's why, you know, the back squat, Robbie, I, I just don't, when I see, when I do back squat and then you check and see if they're in a threatened state or their balance, it, the, the, the bilateral movements screw a lot of the things up in my in the neurological or this patterning or what and that's what i've checked and i found that the single legs they, they don't yeah do you ever see that video of louis and, and the sled rag where he's doing ipsilateral 
yeah, yeah, yeah and from years from from years of, of bi- bilateral. Do, do you know the more I, the more I think about it, the more like bilateral loading doesn't make sense to me. Though, like even even if you think from the PRI standpoint of how asymmetrical our body is, like I just this is just me now as an individual. I'm like the most crooked man ever. Like when I squat, I like I corkscrew, and then one day I was like, listen, I'm never powerlifting or Olympic lifting, so I don't need to be squatting in my training. Like it's just putting me at, at unnecessary risk. So yeah, you get hurt. Yeah, so like I, most of my lower body stuff now is just unilateral stuff, you know, but uh, it just makes more sense yeah. as well. But it was funny when I was talking to Dan Fichter about that, you know, and obviously there is that bilateral deficit and there's this concept or this theory that both hemispheres are like, they're sort of almost fighting against one another in a bilateral pattern. And then like, it was funny, like when you see Louis that in that doing that sled drag and it's, he's doing the Frankenstein walk, like, and then like, Dan Fichter had said that to me, and, and I was like, I oh, know, I've seen this video before, and Dan said he was speaking to, Lu- to Louis about it, and he was like, Louis, you know, like, that's a sign of, like, mental retard- retard- retardation, or I can't say that word, but it's a sign like that, like, neurologically, like, you're not healthy from a brain standpoint, like, if anyone walks like that, that's a sign that something's not right neurologically. <laughs> he trained that in. He trained that into his body. He yeah. adapted. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you know, and, and the big thing too, people have to realize, I think, as you mentioned, my side, it's the culture too. It's not necessarily always the methods. It's the atmosphere, which you yeah. have, you know, and, and like, look, I have an open door policy. I have coaches visit practically weekly in the off season just to see what I do. So well, I'll be, I'm definitely going out one night because I want to go over, I want to go over to Minnesota because I want to visit uh, Mark of the Vikings and I also want to spend time with Sean Miska as well. So, and I'm like, yeah. and, Cal, and Cal's also there. So I'll go see Cal yeah. and have some whiskey. Come swing in. You can have, I got really good Irish whiskey. Um, I have one of my interns buy it for me. Uh, I wasn't supposed to drink it, but I drank it all. So we'll buy some more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, listen, the, re- the reason I asked that too is just because it, it's just, it's, it's something I just wish. And again, it's I say this as a as a as a human being who's as flawed as anyone else and who has his own idiosyncrasies and his own bullshit that he deals with on a daily basis. But it's just one area I wish people would try to work on and step back and come to more awareness of themselves and that like, why are you getting so angry and riled up and like being negative on a person that one like you don't even need to put any energy into it's like people give up with gay people. It's like, listen, if you've got something with gay people, just don't hang around gay people. There you go, it's fine. You know what I mean? So they're, 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 well, they put all this energy like into giving out about other coaches, and I'm just like, have you spoken to this person? Like, have yeah. you actually stepped back and asked why is this making you angry? There's obviously something you're internally working with here, but that like, and then you're projecting onto like Cal Dietz or Louis Simmons or Mike. Well, Bull, right. everyone, everyone wants Paris it through or, their own lens. You know, everyone's trying to see yeah. it through their own lens. I ran into the same thing this weekend where I, I met with someone who's at the ACSM conference and wanted to, you know, chat, talk about what RPR and stuff like that. And he started asking me questions about people and he goes, you know, I, Dan Fichter's stuff on Instagram and, you know, they're talking, you know, long split squats and he goes, it, they, none of them look good. And I said, but wait a minute do you know why Dan does that? And he goes, well, do you think Dan knows that they're not good? Well, probably, but Dan's looking to put things on Instagram because people give him a shit about not having any social media presence and he hates doing it. So what does mm. he do? First day of practice, takes a picture of a kid, puts it up there. Good. I'm done. Now I can coach. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. People take things out of context. Um, uh, every, everything's out of context, man. And, and everything's a, a snap, a snapshot. Like exactly. Cal and I talk about stuff and, you know, if people show up and they see that we're not doing what was in the book, well, it takes a while to get books out and we move pretty quick. Like we're pretty quick to call each other up and say, yeah, this sucks. Let's dump it. 
you know, we move on. Um, when you when we put stuff out there, that's a snapshot a snapshot of that day of where we're at in the training world, where where our brains are at on that day. Yeah, right. And if you could, it, Robbie, if you if you're an Olympic based strength coach, and you come to my gym, you're gonna lose your shit. Because I, I, I don't do anything relative to the Olympic lifts. Mm -hmm. I, I think I found better ways. And it's just completely different than what you've done. Yeah. You know? Or if you're a powerlifting coach. But I'm going to tell you this much. You may squat 1,000 pounds as a powerlifting coach. But I got a whole team full of women that will beat your ass in a 20-yard dash. Mm. You know what I mean? Just by the way you move. And it's crazy. And they just, it's just too far out of their spectrum to comprehend that something else is from what they know. And look, what you know is good for powerlifting. And they're offended opinion. because people are, especially in our profession, people are competitive and they want to be better than other people. And, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, you're competing against someone who has a completely different environment than you in a different background. You know, maybe ask how that person got there. And again, it's this thing like people say, well, you don't squat. Where's all your power? Things you don't think my life would be a ton easier if I didn't have proof that doing all the traditional powerlifting made my kids faster. I could easily let my kids go into weight room for an hour. I wouldn't have to do shit. You think yeah. I've, do you think I've been down the path of trying to do cleans and snatches and all that stuff? Don't you think I would use it if I thought it was getting better? If I didn't have proof, look at my timing equipment. Yeah. I got, a lot, a lot I'm of that, looking for proof. Yeah, a lot of that's because you're attacking people's belief systems. You know, again, it, it comes yeah. back then to this sort of you know these even subconscious belief systems and like again, like uh, one of the biggest stressors to humans is the concept of uncertainty. And what we do then to fill to, to fill the void of uncertainty is to add certainty into our lives. And and each one of each one of us does it to different degrees and through different mediums. So, I mean, for some people, it's religious beliefs and other people, it's ideological beliefs. And for coaches, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a training philosophy belief system or a, a system that they've been raised on. So if your background is Olympic lifting or powerlifting, that becomes your safety blanket when it comes to your whole world and concept of training. And then if you meet someone who says, that stuff doesn't fucking work with, with athletes or, or, or isn't the most optimal thing to work with athletes. You're attacking. And then, and then also too, if they've so self-identified with, with this safety blanket and this, this belief system that, that gives them a, a sense of certainty in the world, you're attacking that sense of identity. So that's usually why you get such a uh, antagonistic response from, from a lot of people too, you know, but I think if we just kind of step back and came to a bit more of awareness and realize, listen, we're all going to die one day. It's all just one big journey. There's, you know, like, there's a lot of great things in our lives, like our, our families and our friends. And then there's other bigger issues in the world, like people starving and overpopulation. So like we, I think arguing about squats, we can kind of get over this. <laughs> yeah. But sorry, Carl, I just always want to ask that too. Cause I've asked the question to people like, you know, Vern Gambetta and then Gray Cook. Like I remember when Vern was fucking slicing Gray up to good with FMS. And then I was like, Vern, have you spoken to Gray? And he's like, no, it's just money gig. And they sell kits. And I'm like, context 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 there's more to it than this like you know yeah. i'm just uh, i'm just like you know because people always ask, people always say to me geez you've been to a lot of places you know you've worked at boils you went to altus you went to west side you went to ifast you know you speak to all these guys in your podcast i'm like yeah because i want to speak to these people directly and not get secondhand information like cal i've heard from people saying that oh i know someone who worked at minnesota with cal and they said it was a shit show and i'm like did you go to cal did you see it and i'm like well then why, why do you choose to believe that? Yeah, well, I mean, I've had people here and interns never ask me why we are on our toes. I, I have one right now. He's like, why are you squatting? He doesn't ask me. <laughs> he just watches it. Oh, I've been doing squats on my toes for seven years. But I'm like, well, okay. 
And I know I have people leave there and go right, let's say, go right back to Olympic lifting. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everything I they've seen here, I mean, they see female do safety bar squats with 360. You're going and, and run a, a, a 2 nine twenty yard dash on electronic, and they drop from a 3-3. Three, three. That's pretty good. And I'm going, yeah, whatever. It's just the belief system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a question. I mean, I do- the worst ones are like the worst interns I've had are the ones that that think they got it all figured out and they deadlift like their max is three thirty to three forty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm forty six. I think I can get out of bed and still deadlift six hundred, right? In the morning with no gear. Listen, well, listen. What, what, one of my, I, I've got two sayings. One is, I know enough to know. I know fuck all. And then the other one is, the only dogmatic belief I have is not to have a, do- a dogmatic belief. <laughs> It's right. an oxymoron anymore. Yeah, come here. I was there was there was one other thing I was going to ask. I was going to say something to Chris there. It has just slipped me mind. But guys, is there anything else you want to you want to address before we wrap up here? It's a good conversation. Hey, I got three TFCs coming up. If anyone wants to show, I got one in Chicago, one in Dallas, one in St. Louis. We got a really good lineup. Hey, stop, stop using acronyms. What do you mean by TFC? Track, foot, track Football Consortium. I'm just saying for the listeners, I know what it is. All right. Oh, sorry. I do know what I was going to say. Just just so we're very clear for this for all the listeners, uh, I unconditionally love every single human being on this planet. So just when I made that when I made that gay when I made that gay statement there, just you know, like one of my closest friends is gay. So just so we're very clear. Now I love everyone. Doesn't matter. I don't care if you're pink, black, green, brown. I think all this fucking bullshit that I'm Irish or you guys are American. Listen, we're all on this fucking ball in the middle of nowhere and we're all in this together. That's as far as I can see it. The air you breathe, the air I breathe. The sun I see is the sun you see. Well, don't look at the sun, but the sun you feel on your skin is what I'm getting at. But come here. Uh, yeah, it's Chris. So when, tell us more details about those for the listeners. Uh, Trek Football Consortium is a, a clinic Tony Holler and I host. Um, and we bring in outside of the box thinkers in the training world. And where speed is king. Um, Cal speaks in the summertime every year just because he's, his schedule he's, is shit. He's, he's an outside-the-box tanker, that's why. Uh, yeah. Um, but we've got some great lineups coming to you. Um, some people, you know, when you go to clinics and you walk out and you've got like one page of notes from two days of stuff, to me that's not a great clinic. We, yeah. we will fill your paper if you show up. Great stuff. Um, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, Carl, I was going to say one more thing to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, triphasic 2. Is it almost uh, ready? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're – I've got to circle back. Uh, with my schedule, it's, it's probably going to be – it's tough to get finished, as you know. Is Mike T yeah, still working on it with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, only, I only spoke with Mike T there a while ago. That was actually something I wanted to ask both of you guys. Have any of you guys looked into Carrick's stuff? Oh, yeah, it's the real deal. I, I, no, I, I have some of it too. I was just wondering, have you, have you utilized or incorporated – are you doing some stuff with the eyes? Yeah, I do various yeah. things. It's, uh, yeah, it, you can just test, get a quick response. Does it stay all the time? No, but I think you can build, you know, with, with if you get the right pattern in place and the brain functioning uh, optimally, I, I think you're just layering on good quality after good quality. Yeah, yeah, no, it, the, definitely the eye stuff he has is, is phenomenal. Like, so some of the courses are pricey, but they're definitely worth it. If his brain stuff is just phenomenal. It's very, very good, like very in-depth, like, but uh, definitely big time. Finally, uh, two years, what are you reading right now? Chris, you're always reading something something good. I am reading uh, The Hymns of the Republic by S.C. Gwynn. It's the last year of the Civil War. Oh, very, very good. 
Oh. Yeah. I, I'm about 50 pages in. Um, I'm just, just like reading Civil War. I'm just going through some metabolic notes just to kind of rehash various things that I wrote down and some supplement stuff really. That's, uh, that's about it. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like, I gotta get, I, I have to get focused on a project and then try to finish it. But that's so, that's so hard because then it, it's intertwined by so many, intertwined by so many things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just struggle to stay focused. Cause I'm, I'm trying to, not have uh, so some of my notes on some of the stuff maybe a, a hundred or two hundred pages, and I gotta put it all together and kind of make it useful for me. But geez, yeah, Kel, Kel sent me a text the other day. We were talking about something he sent. I'm at two hundred fifty six pages. I'm like, how the fuck are we gonna condense that down into something that people will read? Just, yeah. just an interesting question and to you two guys as well, because I, uh, I, I love asking people this question. How do you guys learn? Like, what's your learning process? So, if you want to master a topic and really understand it in depthly, like, wh what, what's your process in learning? Oh, you start with a question. Um, That's key. That's very and, key. And that was my point to to younger people: is most people go through life and they don't have a question. And then once you got that question, what are you willing to sacrifice to get the answer? And yeah. which means you're going to be wrong 90% of the time. That's so funny you say that, Chris, because that's the first thing I say to people as well. First of all, get very clear on the question you're trying to answer because so many people are just going around spinning their tires. This is what I see is people just sign up to all these seminars because other people are going through them. It's like, but like why are you going to that seminar? Like, they become a Wikipedia of, of seminar stuff. Yeah, they become yeah. like it's like educational horrors, but like they're going to these courses that have no relevance because they don't have a question that they're trying to answer, you know. Whereas if they right. just dialed in and became specific on a, a certain area, I so, a, a great a great book just to read. I think Carl and Chris, you'd find this. If you haven't read it, is the book called "Make It Stick." Bill Hartman put me onto it, and since I read it and, and incorporated the principles for learning and recall and retention, like my memory and recall of information right now is phenomenal. It's like gone up by like a thousandfold. It's make wow. it stick make it stick peter brown is is there's three authors on there peter brown it's two neuroscientists and peter brown peter brown's the kind of like, he's the guy who he's the writer of the book but the two guys who are the neuroscientists i just can't think of their names but make it stick is the book essentially look it comes down to this if you want to learn something in terms of remembering something and retaining it and understanding it the, the main premise in the book is this you have to take a test <laughs> That's about it. It's like when you when you learn something, it's like test yourself. So a few things they talk about in it are ret retrieval, reflection, retrieval, ge and generation are, uh, are are what they talk about. So like reflect on what you learned, retrieve, as in like leave some time between what you just studied and then see if you can retrieve it. And then uh, elaboration and generation, there were the other two actually. So it's, it's reflection, retrieval, elaboration, generation. So reflection is reflect on what you just studied, retrieve it, leave some time between what you studied and then see if you can retrieve it. And then elaboration, put what you learned, with, put, what you, put the new knowledge that you got with, with prior knowledge. So elaborate on it. And then generation is really good. Generation is try and put what you learned into your own words now. And the other great thing I took away from the book was to take summary tests. So let's say if I read a passage in a textbook, what I'll do the very next day is sit down at my desk with a blank piece of paper and a pen. And then I'll do a summary test and I'll write out exactly what I learned and recalled and remembered. So it's just, it's just basically training. People always go, I have bad memory. It's like, well, that's like saying I'm weak because I don't lift weights. It's like you have bad memory because you never train it. You know, and after I get that question, you have to be fearless in how you're going to get the answer. And part of being fearless is recognizing when things are wrong and they're not going your way and they're not what you planned. Um, and I think a lot of people 
once they get a question, they're fearful for what the results might be. Yeah, exactly. Big time. Big time. All right, well, sure. We'll wrap up here. Kyle's gone off, is he? No, I'm good. No, I'm oh, here. My biggest my thing is I, I have to – honestly, once I have to teach something, then I'm able to – like, because i got to put it in context. How am I going to deliver what I've just learned to somebody? Yeah. To well, that, that's the other that, – that's another thing they talk about is if you want to master something and understand it, teach. And there's a guy called Jim Quick – He's a he. His whole thing that he teaches is is memory and recall, and he has this uh, acronym called FAST for memory and learning, and it stands for forget, active state, and teach. So he says if you want to really learn something and remember it and recall it, he says the first thing is to forget. So by that he means he's like it sounds like I'm 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 being paradoxical here, but he means what I mean by forget is forget the bullshit you've told yourself. That, oh, my memory's weak or it's not good or any of that. He's like forget that. He says you do have good memory, you just have an untrained memory. And then he's like the A in fast stands for active. He's like, if you want to learn something, you have to be, you have to like be active in the process. So that kind of goes with like the make it stick, like, you know, do take quizzes, you know, like don't just, because in make it stick, they talk about the illusion of knowledge. They're like, when you read something or when you reread something, you think, oh, got that. And they think, you think now that you've retained that. But like, if you went back the next day and someone said to you, what did you just read there? You've forgotten because you just passively read it where your mind is wandering. Whereas if you're active in the learning, like you're actually trying to recall it in that, in that moment, it'll stick better. And then the S was uh, state. So being a good, being a good frame mind of state. And then the last letter in fast was T, teach. So Jim Quick talks about if you want to really learn something, teach it. Because if you can teach it, well then you know you've mastered Because if you can't teach someone or explain something while you just learned, you don't really understand the information. So 100% agree yep. with you there, Cal. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the key for me. Dead nuts. So... Man, listen, this has been phenomenal. Thanks for putting up with my rambling too as I talk, but it was really good to talk about RPR, really good to talk about the foot, really good to talk about Franz Bosch, and also to talk about some periodization and also why some people just hate themselves and take it out on other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never, you know what, and, and then you gotta, like, even if somebody's doing something I don't like, I, I don't understand or don't like, I'm like, I just want to know why they do it. And then maybe I can make my stuff better too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What I, we've been steal from you, right? I've been jumping on my toes, and I, I mean, I know the NSCA. You know, they 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 have a model where they want you to land on your heel, you know, land on your foot, put your weight on your heels. I've never done that. We have always jumped on our toes through hurdle hops, through everything. But that's how I see them perform in sports. So, you know, I do crazy stuff, partial movements, oscillatories all the time. If you if you're a rugged full range of motion person, and you watch all my athletes do OC bench press, you just you just don't understand. You know what I mean? It's well, crazy. And finally, I probably won't talk to you boys before the before the end of the football season. But have you got any? What what are your what are your feelings for the NFL? Any any predictions for Super Bowl? Patriots. Patriots. <laughs> <Eight>. <laughs> Eight and one, not going bad. Well, 49ers are the only team left on beating at the moment. I like the 49ers too. Yeah, they're looking well at the moment. Listen, guys, phenomenal. Say goodbye to these offline real quick, but for everyone listening, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.